Hi, this is Natalie Nicole Gilbert, and you are listening to the Sound Architect Podcast. You are indeed, and I am Sam Hughes, and thanks for joining us today, Natalie. How are you? Great. How about yourself? How's the weather over there? Uh, yeah, warm. Not so sunny as it was before, but it's still got the minor remains of a heat wave going on. So how about you? Like, it must be crazy out there right now. Yeah, heat wave is, uh, is, seems like a funny word to us right now as we have what is, I hear, at last count, 33,000 acres on fire wow. <laughs> in our forests. So it's been kind of cr- quite a crazy week in SoCal. But uh, all of us are safe, and I Good. think uh, so far there have been very few injuries related to the fire. So our, our fire departments have been doing a wonderful job. Fantastic to hear. Glad it's not causing too much trouble over there. Yeah. So I suppose the first thing we should discuss is Morning Light, which is a, a really great track. I had a listen to it this morning, and it's uh, been in my head all day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's had quite a lot of plays already, hasn't it? It has. I was quite surprised that this one took off so well. We, uh, in the past, have gotten, you know, over time on SoundCloud up to maybe 100,000, 125,000 plays on songs, songs that had been there for a number of months. But this song was online for about a week and a half, and it had already gotten three times as many plays as any of those previous tracks, probably more than all the other tracks on the page combined. Um, so we're really seeing a wonderful groundswell of interest in this song. And I, I mean, I can see why not because of my parts with the lyrics and the melody and the vocals, but because the person that I collaborated with, Michael Manchin, um, is just so gifted. He's great with beats. He's great with production and mixing. Um, so it's a really tight little dance song. Uh, I was really, really pleased to work on this with him and very excited to say that this is the first of many of these uh, dance tunes that we're going to be working on. Yeah, and it's a fairly new direction for you, isn't it? It is. Um, I've often been informed by R&B and dance, and I grew up listening to a lot of like club music and Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. Um, so it's certainly not something that hasn't been on my radar, but it's something that I've had uh, in the past difficulty producing on my own, because while I am great with the lyric writing and the vocals for it, I am not so gifted with beats and loops and <laughs> all of that. Uh, I do love editing, although, you know, it's it's a love-hate relationship. Um, oh, I think everyone has a love-hate relationship uh, with editing. <laughs> oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I mean, it's sometimes you amaze yourself with the things that you can do or the things that you do accidentally while you're working on these things. Um, and there are times when you want to pull your hair out and times where you think this is never going to be in a state where I believe it's anywhere near completed. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's Um, most musicians with any mix. I think. (laughs) Oh gosh. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and by the same token, like I've, uh, I've also been really grateful that I've learned so much about mixing because I am hands-on and that informs when I do work with other people, how I'm able to communicate with them and how we collaborate. Um, you know, when they ask me for stems or when they ask me to, um, filter it or reduce the noise or do any of these kind of simplistic things that I can do even in my home demo studio. Um, I'm not sitting there twiddling my thumbs going, what are you trying to tell me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have the knowledge, you know, you have the understanding. Absolutely. So I can save them a lot of work and send them files that are very ready for them without them having to do much. That being said, in this particular case, oddly enough, uh, I very I did very little to those tracks and had just sent him the files that were used in the final as a sketch. It was actually, um, I think it was the second take. I did do a couple takes, although he might have used a bit of the first take as well 
well because I sent him everything I'd done just so he could play with it and see which arrangements he liked. And um, he took off running with it and said, no, this is fine. This is actually all I need. And I'm like, are you sure? Like I, I could do 15 more times. <laughs> you know? I was so ready to, to jump in and really try to nail it. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a, a, a trend with me and I don't know how I stumble upon these wonderful producers, but I, I have had a habit of finding these guys um, that they are so solid. They don't need me to do 30 takes, which is what I do to myself when I'm producing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you're self-producing. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it exhausts you so quickly and you get, you know, you sort of lose your passion for the material and and then it becomes so technical and so focused on technique that so much is lost. Um, so I was very excited that he was able to take just that first and second take and bring them together and something that is very radio ready, but it's, but it's kind of a wonderful thing, yeah. you know, that it, it just sounds so cohesive and so ready without my having to sit there and polish and perfect myself. Well, it's a very tight mix and it's very crisp, isn't it? It's very pure. Thank you. Yeah, he he has such a very good ear. And, you know, I think I've, I've long said that's it's not really something that you can even train yourself with. Like, I, I think you can listen to a lot of radio music and you can certainly flood and immerse yourself with lots of tracks in the genre that you're working in um, to help kind of fine tune. But I think there's also just a lot of natural innate ability for some of the best producers and artists that they just come to the table kind of knowing where things should fall and instinctively getting a sense of, oh, it would be really cool if there's like a little echo here and a bit of extra reverb or filtering there, a little Doppler there. Um, they know exactly where those things should sit. And I, I think it would be difficult to figure that out without and kind of having that sense already. Not that there isn't a lot of value in education and, you know, people working to perfect their craft. But um, but I think a lot of people are sort of aware when they have those skills and they know, oh, I could be really good at this. And it's just a matter of taking the time to sit down and cultivate those skills and perfect them in practice. Yeah, definitely. And you definitely have to, as you say, have a sort of calling towards a certain genre sometimes as well and knowing what kind of effects, especially with something like dance music, where you can almost do anything. Truly. And how to, how to keep it fresh with dance music as well, because it's with dance music more than so many others, particularly because song length can vary so greatly because you're looking at clubs as your main outlet rather than radio. So you don't have to fit that three minute, 30 second landmark, you know, um, there's a lot of freedom, but also a lot of options that could boggle you down with, you know, oh, do I want to repeat the chorus three times to, you know, it's not this A, B, A, B, you know, verse, chorus, yeah. verse, chorus. Um, so I, I think you're absolutely right with dance. There is, it, it's a totally different beast because you have vamps and you have hooks and, and things that repeat. Um, and what are you going to do with them when they repeat? And frankly, I don't know how familiar you are with classical music, but I think stylistically and, and arrangement wise, it's much closer to classical music than it is to pop because in classical you have rondo where you keep returning to like a through thread, kind of like a movie soundtrack where you keep returning to a phrase. And I think that uh, the dance music more often has that leaning instead of relying on a chorus, it relies on segments and um, underlying undercurrents and themes throughout motifs. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the arrangement more than the melody content, then yeah, it's definitely very, very similar to, uh, to classical music in terms of its rigidity, in a way. Exactly. So how did the collaboration first come around with Michael? We, I believe, if I remember correctly, met through Craigslist. And 
and uh, every every now and then, you know, I'll just kind of like, oh, you know, some of the people that I'm working with will be off on tour or take up professional golfing and, (laughs) (laughs) uh, or I will get busy too. You know, I mean, it's, it's not just them. It's, it's all of us. Life happens, you know, um, you married, you move, you get sick for a stretch or you take care of a loved one. Um, But every now and then I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'd love to do some dance and nobody that I'm working with right now is really interested in that. You know, it's not that they couldn't if they wanted to, but they just, it, you know, I think dance music, especially as well on the production side is much more labor intensive, you know, obviously recording an acoustic thing, you could do five takes of everything, every instrument, you know, and just tweak yeah. the audio a little bit and be fine. But with dance, there's just every single stem, every single track in the session has to be touched so much. Um, and so I completely understand why if somebody isn't interested in it, they just, they wouldn't even want to dabble in it. Um, so I just kind of put out a call. I, although I might, in this particular case, I might've even responded to his call looking for some vocalists for some tracks that he already had. I'm thinking actually in, in this case, that that was me responding to him. So he just sent me some tracks that frankly were, were really already radio ready. Like they, he's certainly tweaked them over time. And, um, and sometimes he would send me two minute segments and then I would just kind of look for the portions that resonated with me the most and do vocals to those. But, um, but really what he sent me was already so ready for a dance floor. It, it was so easy to songwrite against it. Um, which again, just kind of comes back to his innate ability and hearing, how things go because he he will tell you his natural inclination is more toward the music and less toward um melody and songwriting and all of that um and yet he he gives me such a wonderful landscape to put those lyrics against so he would just send me even though we're in the same city we back and we have met in person we've had lunch together um <laughs> <laughs> which you know isn't always the case but in this case uh he's really lovely we, we did have a chance to sit down in person but so far all of our music collaborations have been working from a distance just because of schedules and ease and the fact that we do both have studios oh cool so i mean you do quite a lot of remote work don't you I do. And I, one of the things I really love about that, especially as I'm beginning a collaboration relationship with someone, is that it gives you the freedom to really find yourself in whatever portion of that work you're doing together. Uh, yeah, you know, sure. If, if I were going into his studio space, which I will do eventually, we've talked about, you know, kind of being in the same room at the same time recording. Um, <laughs> but especially initially, I think there's something... Um, really nice about being in your fortress of solitude and not being quite so affected by that other person. And I mean, I've certainly been in a lot of songwriting scenarios, especially like acoustic singer songwriter um, songs that I've worked on where I was thrown in a room with somebody for half an hour and they said, okay, write a song. And when you're done in 30 minutes, we'll sing it for everybody. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No pressure. (laughs) Yeah. No pressure. Which I loved. And yeah, I'm still writing with some of those songwriters today. And the songs that resulted from that 30 minute session came out so ready, surprisingly, after that 30 minutes that we put them on the record just as they were. Um, So I don't, you know, dismiss that way of writing either. I love that style. But I think there's also something really fantastic about um, 
the handoff and sort of saying, okay, this is what I've done so far. Here it is. See what you think about it and give it a try and having that freedom to explore on your own. And while I did send him my first and second take, just to kind of make sure I was going in the direction that he was hearing as well, because even though he didn't have, you know, lyrics in place, I knew he probably heard a little bit of something about where he was wanting some of the lyrics to fall. Um, I think, you know, if I had said, uh, let me play with this and let me do it 30 different ways or let me, you know, um, do three completely different takes, different lyrics, different melodies and see which one we like the best. I would have had that freedom in my space without paying for recording time, without yeah. watching his facial gestures to see how each one is, is taking with him, you know. So it's kind of nice to just be able to create without having influence from anyone and then ship it off. And say, and you know, and then after I hit send, I can sit there going, "Oh God, that was probably horrible." I'm, yeah. you know, <laughs> you and know. then the, then the the voice in the back of your mind comes in, and <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Oh, he's probably, you know, especially because when you when you first start collaborating with with someone, you know, typically in an exchange like this where you're working completely remotely, even if you are in the same city, you know, you come together and um, decide to work together based on a portfolio of your past work, typically. Um, so, you know, as if, if I respond to his Craigslist ad, then of course I'm going to be sending him samples of my other work, which may or may not be similar or maybe something that I took a whole lot of time to polish. So the first time I send him tracks out of my studio that don't have that, you know, lots of tweaking and mastering and all of that, um, you know, it's very easy to go, oh God, did I just, you know, send him like a, a pet that's going to leave a mess all over his house. <laughs> you know, you what do. an analogy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, you, the cat may be very well behaved or it just may scratch up all the furniture. You just don't know um, until you let it out of the house. So um, yeah, it's, it's very scary, certainly. Um, and I mean, you also have to kind of um, self-soothe yourself, I find, and just be like, no, no, it's okay. Like, he had. He knows how to say words. If he has a problem <laughs> yeah. with it, then he will email you or call you or whatever. And and also, I think there's even like an emotional distance, like where you're like, no, I don't really care about this song. It's okay. Like whatever. Like not a, not completely dismissive, but just like telling yourself, like, oh. yeah, trying to trick yourself that it doesn't matter as much, even though it does to you. Precisely, precisely. Like you know, well, if this particular one doesn't work out, you know, there's plenty of other tracks, or I can go back and change the lyrics completely, or whatever. So, um, but then you know, the really beautiful thing on the other side of that is when it does work, and when the person comes back and says, "No, I really like what you're doing there," and you hear his first mix, and you know, we we had our first mix some months ago, and uh, there were a lot of things that I really liked, and I tried to give him a lot of harmonies and a lot of. Um, ways that he could decide to combine things or split them apart. I think in all, I sent him just four stems, what, uh, two melodies and two harmonies, um, which he could mix and match. But I told him which stem I had recorded against with each set. So he knew yeah. like this one ma matches that one and that one matches that one. Um, so in the initial um, mix, I could already hear where he was going and knew like, oh, he's totally got this. I can absolutely trust where he's taking this. And, you know, every time he sent me a new mix, it was a little tighter. He had added a new effect or brought back in another, the other take to kind of have an echo in the background or something. So it was really nice too, to, to kind of sit back and watch him take over and, um, and run with it, you know, so that I didn't have to sit there <laughs> choosing <laughs> which track to take each time. Um, and I mean, I think one of the other great things about collaborating when you have two people with studios too, is that not only did he make decisions about, you know, 
which ones of my vocals to use here and there, he was also able to then sort of uh, reshape the music track that he had done. So the, the track he first sent me, even though it was very radio ready, by the time we finished, he had shaped it around the vocals as he had arranged them that much more so that the synth oh, came cool. in you know, when I wasn't singing or some stuff dropped out when I was singing. Yeah. So it, it becomes a very um, multifunctional relationship where each element serves the other over time. Um, like every artist, like you say, it's very hard to know when that mix is done. And yeah. sometimes you just have to let it out the door. And, uh, and we did. He just posted it and stepped back and have been very pleased with the result. I was going to say, it's obviously done very well. And the collaboration was uh, evidently a successful one. It really was. And I, I have been very fortunate, you know, every time I begin relationships or, you know, begin conversations like these with new people, even if I hear their work is wonderful, you're always sort of mindful of like now, you know, this person and I, even though we sound like we're creatively, like stylistically and audio wise on the same page, you never know if it's going to be a personality match. Like some yeah. people just have such a different work style. So I always try to go into it with decently low expectations like you know and, and not saying anything ill of the other person but like if one person is really type a and one person is really type b and you know um you know if if one person really wants hard deadlines really quickly and the other one is it lives a really busy life and just you know even though they want to do that they can't or you know there's so many different factors that yeah. play into that dynamic um so I've, I've been really pleased that every time that i have found these collaborators um and with michael especially that he has totally understood like you know i had to have um surgery on my leg a little bit earlier this year oh wow and i just yeah, and I just fell off the planet for a while. And I tried to give him a heads up. I was like, hey, by the way, I'm not like ignoring your emails. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally reading them. But so, you know, I'm, uh, I'm a bit on crutches and I'm waiting for my surgery date and everything is just kind of up in the air right now. So, um, I mean, it, it's great to find collaborators that you can speak to plainly and just be a real person with and say, hey, just so you know, like this is what's going on in my real life that's affecting this right now and, um, and have them totally get it and just work with what they have and, and run with it. Um, so we were really, I think we hit a, the right stretch of time to bring all of this about too. But yeah, I, I really look forward to uh, your hearing more of Michael's work because he's so gifted and some of the other tracks we're already working on now in the pipeline are really, really fun tracks. So I think you'll enjoy his work. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more from the, from the both of you really. Thank you. Now, another process that you're quite heavily involved in is the Grammy process, isn't it? Yes, that's right. This is my third year, I think, submitting. Nice. So, I mean, I've I've never actually looked into too much about the Grammy process, so it'd be really cool to know a bit more about how it works. Absolutely. Well, I think one of the biggest things that um, people are unaware of, which I am all, always happy to mention because we need to get the word out there, is that the Grammy process is not closed off to only those on big labels, which I think is unintentionally the message that is sent when you watch the awards. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, all the big labeled artists performing and understandably because, you know, one of the biggest things that gives them the money they need con to continue the awards is their broadcast. And so a lot of the people that are asked to perform during the broadcast, whether they win that year or not, are going to be a lot of the artists that you hear on the radio. And yeah, sure. Celebrities almost. Exactly. Um, and as you may or may not know, there is also a portion of the awards that is not televised. Um, there is a segment um, 
almost as long as the part that you do see on TV, um, where smaller categories are honored, like children's music, new age, um, even production, graphic design, um, music videos, although that one might be given away during the televised awards. I forget sort of where that threshold of what, yeah. <laughs> what is not broadcasting, what is broadcast. Um, but there are a number of awards um, that are given away before the television portion ever hits the air. And a lot of the awards that are won during that stretch are won by independent artists that are not on big labels or they're on independent labels. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think a lot of people, there are so many independent artists, I was certainly one for years, that didn't know that they qualified to be a voting member and participate in that voting process. And, you know, if you've ever watched any of the awards, not just the Grammys, and been, <laughs> and thought to yourself, how did that get nominated? Or how did that win? You know, um, it's an imperfect process, to be sure. And, you know, especially with the Grammys, um, they work very hard to try to remove bias. And, you know, they have very strict voting rules about certain things. Um, sure. And they are always redefining the categories. Um, they will at times... Uh, cancel categories if they find that there aren't enough applicants or oh, wow. okay so they can yeah. actually just get rid of the whole category absolutely i mean and when you think about it 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 only makes sense the music well, yeah we, if you don't have enough people to <laughs> to decide between yeah and you know back in the 50s there wasn't probably a, a rap category <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. So, and rock back in the 70s is very different than rock today. And, you know, while uh, many musicians will tell you, oh, I think that they should have different definitions of this category or that category. Um, and, you know, certainly we should keep kind of cleaning up the definition to fit the current style uh, or the current aim of that genre. Um, there's also just plainly a difference between rock in the 70s and rock in the 90s and rock in 2016. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it's it's very informative and it sort of helps you keep an eye on how those trends are changing to be a voting member. Um, but I would also just really encourage any independent artist. I think um, at the time that I joined, and you know these rules do change over time, so don't quote me on this. But at the time that I joined, <laughs> um, four or five years ago, all that was required for you to become a member, a voting member. Um, was to verifiably have a commercial release that had either six tracks, if it was a physical release, where you could walk into a brick-and-mortar store and buy it, or 12 tracks if you had primarily released digitally. Okay. And when you think about it with, you know, the advent of CD Baby and TuneCore and all of these distributors now, even Reverb Nation, um, that's actually quite easy for an independent artist to accomplish. You can release a, a CD, a digital CD full of 12 songs for $50. Yeah, that's quite achievable. Truly. Um, and I mean, they will, they will certainly verify it and all of that. Um, they will not require that that was obviously released through a big label. They won't require that every note was on pitch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, which, you know, and I don't, I don't say that to lessen the weight of, of what it means to become a voting member. I just do that, you know, because I, I keep in mind independent artists don't have 10,000 or 50,000 or million dollar production. Well, yeah, of course. You know, a lot of them are recording in their bedrooms. So, you know, I don't want them to hear that and go, yeah, but my 12 tracks suck a little bit. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, 
but you know what? I mean, to be honest, there's, there's some big label stuff that sucks too. And they're still, they're still on the list. Um, so it's, it's not about, it's not purely about quality. It's about your participation in the industry. And if you are participating commercially in the U S industry, and it's important that it's U S of course, because if you've just released everywhere else, that doesn't count either. Um, and it must be in the last five years, I believe is also one of the the rules. Um, but I mean, if you are releasing music, even on a periodic basis, then you would qualify. And that means that, um, you can become a a voting member and participate not only in the final nominations, but who's even submitted. So you can choose to submit your work or you can submit someone else's. You can vote in the first round that sort of determines, uh, once the Academy has decided who does actually fit in that category and who qualifies by falling in the time range of the awards for that, uh, year span, once they sort of whittle this list down, boil it down to those that do qualify, then voting members decide who goes on to the next round to become part of the five nominees. And they will give you in that first round, um, in the categories that you're voting in, up to five choices. And you don't have to use all of them. If they're, if you're just like, no, there's only one artist that deserves to win that category, then you can write in <laughs> just that one. Um, but in that first round, you can choose up to five and give all five of them a chance to move forward to the nomination process. And there are a few categories um, like producing and engineering where there's also a committee after the voting members that okay. kind of looks at what the voting members have selected and kind of sifts through that to make sure that all of them really do represent that category and do represent the hard work. And then it goes on to the nomination process where we all pick from the five that made it to the final. And sometimes if there's not a lot of entries, it may not be full five. It might only be three people in that category or three artists. So it kind of varies from category to category. But I mean, when you think about it, I think at last count, there were something like 84 different categories because there's also classical, there's jazz, there's a little bit of everything. Oh, there's so many genres now. So many, yeah. And I mean, while there are fusions and there are some other categories that they've kind of boiled down into one, like I think they took um, folk and country or uh, a few of those sort of acoustic genres and boiled them into one category that they call roots music. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And that was just in the last couple of years that they joined those together. Um, there have certainly been other categories that have stayed very separate. So um, it's really good, too, as you submit each year. And you, when you submit your work, you just kind of point them to it. You tell them when it was released. You submit a CD with a UPC symbol or um, code. And then once they see, oh, you do qualify, you know, you can sort of steer it toward this is the category I think it should be in, but they do retain the right to shift it to a different category if they feel. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I think one of the biggest hurdles or the biggest, um, oddities for people that first join the Academy because they don't know that going in. It's yeah. sort of, you know, if you submit it in jazz, then you expect it to stay in jazz, but they may go, Oh, this really sounds a little more pop to us with some jazz influence. So we're going to move this over to pop, uh, <laughs> which means that you sort of can't start your, for your consideration campaign and sharing your link to, to listen for voting members until you know your final category and where they placed you. Yeah. Wow. It's quite an elaborate process, isn't it? It really is. But all of that said, um, there are, are quite a lot of independent artists involved and many of us have banded together so that we can help each other through kind of learning the ropes of that voting process. We remind each other um, of the rules so that we keep everything in check. Like, you know, the first year that I joined, people 
were always reminding me politely, very politely, you know, don't forget you're not supposed to mention the numbers of your category. You can tell people I'm in best rock performance or I'm in best dance recording, but you can't tell them I'm in category number four or field number 15. Um, because then the, the Academy feels that's helping people not look at the ballad and letting them just write in the number instead of actually looking at the choices on the ballot. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Understandably. Um, so, you know, all of us as artists come together and sort of teach each other these things. Not that the rules aren't plainly there and laid out for us, but it's helpful to have those reminders because, you know, if it's your first time around, you may easily forget those things or just not be aware of exactly how it translates. So it's been really wonderful to get to know so many of these other independent artists. And all year long, we're listening to each other's music. We're giving each other feedback. We are, you know, kind of being a resource to each other for like, oh, you know, I I want to change managers or I'm looking for a new publicist. Um, So it's really a whole community to itself, especially among the independents. So if there's any artist um, who, you know, does a lot of their own engineering or anything that listens to your podcast that's ever even considered or or wondered, you know, oh, someday, maybe a decade from now, I'll qualify and, um, you know, look at it sooner rather than later, because it's, it's more affordable than you think you qualify sooner than you think. And And once you have that membership, then you have access to all of these chapters that have panels and screenings of music films and so many resources available to you so that even if you never even approach the awards and never participate beyond just being a voting member and nominating some people, um, if you never submit your own work for consideration, you, you still get to have your hands in all of these wonderful resources. Um, so I highly, highly recommend it to other artists. Yeah, it sounds like there might be a lot of people out there who do um, have the qualifications to apply. You know, they definitely um, should be going for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I qualified, I think, about four or five years before I knew I did. And uh, I'm absolutely positive there are many other artists, especially touring artists or, you know, artists that have already released a number of CDs and they're probably all thinking, you know, well, until I get signed or until I do whatever, you know, I shouldn't even think about that. Uh, And they have no idea it's it's within reach. But yeah, absolutely. As you say, there are many more people that do qualify than realize. And I think that uh, if they're curious about more details, I believe the link to look at the membership rules and kind of see if if they're ready for that threshold is grammypro.com slash join. I believe that's the link last time. Okay. Yeah. We'll put that link below as well, just in case. Perfect. And uh, it's not, you know, as, as much as I make it sound like, oh, you've got to do this and this and this, you know, as, as I, I like, you know, kind of giving people a sense of what that picture looks like. But it's it's really, at the end of the day, not a really difficult um, process. It, there's really only three or four key points that you have to meet. And the paperwork isn't difficult, I promise you. <laughs> so. <laughs> If you particularly and not only for your own music, but if you are disgruntled or ever disappointed with the nominations and you feel like that's, you know, that doesn't really represent the style that that's not the best in that category. Or, or what about the artists that I love? Why are they never making it to at least the nomination stage? Yeah. This is this is your way to participate in that process. And if you qualify, there's no reason not to participate so that you can start seeing more of those artists that you think should be rewarded. You know, I get so excited every year when I look at the best new artist category and I do see artists there that I think belong there. And I, I will vote the crap out of that (laughs) (laughs) because I, I get tired of seeing, you know, and I mean, I, I, 
I, even as I say this, I, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I, I get a little tired of seeing the same artists take home 12 Grammys every year. Yeah. Or I mean, not 12, I guess there are only so many that have gotten that many in one time or over the stretch of their lives. But you know, if they win six or seven, you know, if they win two or three, okay, like maybe you had something, a really standout project that year. But if you're winning six and seven, you're preventing other people, new artists from, from getting recognition. Yeah. Um, as, that's sort of the angle that I come from, from my little pedestal over where I am. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, if you want to sort of see more artists get recognized or better artists or, you know, just artists that you know have really been working hard for a long time, then participate in that process. You know, much like the election year that we're in, without getting too yeah. you know, you can sit on the sidelines and you can gripe about it, or you can show up at the polls and play a part in how things go down. Wow. Well, I mean, it definitely sounds like people should be getting more involved in it. I think it's because the name of the Grammys, people just automatically assume, oh, no, that's way too big for me to get involved. I think you're really right about it, especially if the only interaction they've ever had, which I think, frankly, is the only interaction they've ever had, is just seeing the awards on occasion on TV and seeing the red carpet photos in the paper the next day. You know, but the Grammy Foundation, those who work for it will tell you that it's so much more than that. They have so many charities, the music cares, they um, support artists who, you know, Many artists, however, even if their songs are very well known, you'd be surprised how many of them, especially in America, don't have health insurance. So they have, you know, if they uh, get cancer or have some big surgery, they may not have the financial means to take care of themselves or a family member. Um, it, despite the fact that they've been giving us this wonderful music since the day of Motown or, you know, all of that. So it, they have a whole system set aside um, where we're able to donate even as we vote each year. Um, so that there's a pool of money there to be pulled from in those emergencies um, and a, a wealth of programs and educational programs as well. And they go into um, schools and, you know, go to underserved youth and give them instruments or work to teach them and pair them up with mentors. So there's so many things that they do just beyond that awards broadcast once a year. In fact, I've heard some of the chapter members, you know, come up to some of the members in our group and say, how do we communicate to the other members that it's, it's not just the voting season, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just October or, you know, I guess it's already vamping up now. It's not just July and August when we start to consider each other to December when the nominations are announced and then the awards in January or February, like there's a whole stretch of year there where we're doing all these other things. Um, so, I mean, if, if you're at all kind of telling yourself too, like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to participate in a, awards process just to take home a trophy or help others take home a trophy it's really not just that it's also about helping music survive helping musicians take care of themselves and take care of their families and also helping the next generation of musicians um, to find their place so uh, I really encourage you to check out grammypro.com and uh, and just investigate what they're up to and see if there's a part for you to play in it yeah definitely I can back that up it sounds like they're doing a lot more behind the scenes than uh then it first appears, you know. Truly, truly. And I think they're one of the most um, misunderstood uh, organizations out there. And I completely understand why, you know, but um, it's... Yeah, I think it happens with a lot of awards where they they kind of have to go heavy on the popular side to get the attention that they need. But then they do a lot more around that. So it's difficult. Absolutely. And I mean, as you've probably seen in the news as well, some of the other awards, not the Grammys, have come under fire recently for lacking 
diversity and yes um so i mean as much as we you know coming back to the sort of election thing as much as we sort of hate to see oh you know this is this is not fair you know there there are ways to start infiltrating that system and you know thankfully some of those other awards have started rising to the occasion and uh, reaching out to other people that should be in those ranks who have long, long ago should have been in those ranks um, yeah. to let them know that, you know, they are ready for membership and to get in there so they can participate in the voting process because you don't want only one subset of people voting. You know, that's, it doesn't really indicate which arts are really doing well. If you're only letting people who like rom-coms vote for all the films, yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to choose one random, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's really good to participate in that process, and uh, and it's great to also see what is going on behind the scenes and see that it isn't just the trophy section. It's also about really making a difference for the coming generations and also taking care of the legacy of artists that we've been given. You know, because it's you see so many articles, sadly, of like this artist, like uh, I think Sly and the Family Stone, um, years later after all of their wonderful hits the lead singer or lead songwriter was found like living in an RV and essentially kind of homeless, you know, and having to deal with some serious health issues. And, um, I think in his particular case, he was able to win a copyright case or something that might've, uh, rightfully given him some royalties that he had not yeah. been given over the years, but, but not every story turns out that way. Um, and certainly there are a number of artists who just don't survive during that window of time. So it's so important to try to, to you know we can't fix it all but if you can help even a portion from well, where you one are. bit at a time helps doesn't it <laughs> absolutely and mentoring too you know and obviously you don't even have to be involved in a program like that to mentor if you see a kid in your neighborhood that you see has a passion for music or engineering or you know whatever your expertise may be and you can spend even a few minutes or half an hour a week or a month with them you know you can you know just like i'm telling people right now that they may qualify you 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 don't know what you don't know until somebody helps you understand it or see it. So it, it can be such a help just to make yourself available to other people. Yeah, and I think that's an amazing message about the Grammys to, to kind of take on board, really. But music isn't the only thing that you're involved in, is it? You're quite multi-talented and you're still working in VO as well, aren't you? I am, yes. Uh, I uh, just this year had gotten back into radio, which was a wonderful delight for me. I uh, had taken... Awesome. A hiatus, yes. Uh, and it's really great. You know, these days, uh, as you probably know, you can be on the air remotely. Um, you don't even have to be in the studio. And when they first kind of designed these capabilities, uh, even though they knew ultimately it could lead to sort of what some disaffectionately call robo-jocking, uh, <laughs> um, even though they knew it could lead to that, the, the first thought was that um, during bad weather or during vacation, DJs would be able to pre-record their shows. And, um, you know, when I first got into radio, that it was just sort of the advent of that time. They were just kind of coming to that place where we weren't having to be there to start each individual CD. Um, and it became more like a very robust iTunes that was broadcasting on the air. But now, um, just this year, I've had the opportunity to broadcast for three different stations, logging in completely remotely, never even met face-to-face. Yeah, the people that I was working for, we had a phone call and we kind of, you know, discussed their programming style and who the audience was. Um, and otherwise, like I would just log in each night and I could plainly see the program log with the commercials and the songs. 
and, you know, just insert my voiceovers in that broadcast. And, you know, as you say, I am doing regular voiceovers for commercials still as well for a lot of my friends or a lot of my clients that do um, commercials and tutorials. The tutorials are especially fun, although sometimes I get asked to do very bizarre projects. I did. <laughs> I just did a project a few weeks ago for Lamaze and uh, it wasn't about breathing. It was about breastfeeding. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I just, it, it's very curious, some of the projects that you'll be asked to do. And it's all, you know, it's very technical and it's helpful. You're t it's often like learning modules. It's teaching people that are designed to support in various roles. Um, but it's, it's very intriguing and you learn a lot reading a, a lot of technical terms. And as you teach somebody else through this script that has been prepared for you. But, uh, but I love it. Voiceovers is an, an ever-changing sort of industry. So you never know what you'll be asked to record next. Yeah, and you can literally talk about anything, can't you? <laughs> truly, truly. I'm at this point. I'm not surprised by anything. What's the weirdest thing you've had to talk about? Oh, that one was was an odd one. Um, but I think, uh, as you and I have briefly touched on before, on occasion I'll get asked to do political ads, or right. um, uh, I've on occasion been asked to record a spot for like a gentleman's club or something. And there are certainly times I've had to put my foot down and say, I know you probably knew I would turn this down. And here's the <laughs> yeah. I turn this down <laughs> because I just, I don't want to support this. Um, but even as I do that, you know, out of respect for my clients, I do tell them like, you know, I do know some other female talent that might be available for this. So here's their contact information. <laughs> and then if that person turns it down, that's not on me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think those are probably some of the more awkward ones that I've been given. Um, you know, there's also just been some scripts that have been really butchered when they reach me because, you know, a lot of these, um, especially the longer scripts where it's like for a voice, uh, a phone prompt or uh, a website or, or these tutorials, yeah, uh, sure. they don't go through just one set of hands. Um, it'd be nice if they did, but often it's, you know, one person that they sort of think is the best writer in house. They give them a starting place and then about 20 other people on the board and on the staff and whatever else they're all getting in there and tweaking. Oh, well this should really be phrased this way or whatever. And by the time they're, <laughs> yeah, by the time they're done with it, it's, it can be quite a Frankenstein because they've just, they've, taken out this segment of words and they've forgotten the prepositions they were using before that. Oh no. <laughs> so they've left in so many different artifacts. So when you read it back, um, you really kind of have to keep an eye out for either missing words or words that were left in that should have been taken out. Oh, and, man. and then at the same time, be aware that some of those words that look very out of place may actually be accurate because it may be true to the lingo for that particular industry. Um, I've certainly done a lot of military well, uh, military morale, welfare, recreation videos where I saw phrases. I'm like, is that really the way that is? And, and thankfully in those cases, I was recording with an engineer who said, yes, I happen to work here. I know that's right. Um, but you will certainly on a lot of scripts, see stuff that, you know, without a doubt, isn't supposed to be there. But our general rule of practice is always that you give them one read the way that you think it's supposed to be. If, if it looks plainly evident that a word is or isn't there that should be yeah. a, adjusted and then you always give them a read exactly as it's written even if it's absolutely ludicrous yeah yeah no matter what it says yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that way i mean they have their options and nine times out of ten if you take it with that line of thought um then they won't be sending you back any retakes um and on rare occasion they'll they'll realize oh we, we were missing a word there and there's no way that you could have known that it was 
lactational consultant. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, just I love so you, that that's actually a word you've had to say as well. Oh, <laughs> yes. And I had to say it too many times. <laughs> Things that I could have gone my whole life without knowing exist. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but at the same time, you know, um, you know, even doing that project, I learned a lot of really, um, cool things as well. Like the things that I, that I didn't even consider because that's my life has never touched those things. So, you know, when my friends get really riled up about do I, or don't I breastfeed in my Facebook feed? Now I know a whole lot more <laughs> too much about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, um, really curious to see how those edits go down. And I think you and I may have touched on in the past too, that it's, it's also very curious with voiceover because much like my collaborations with Michael on the dance side, there are a lot of projects that you work on in your own home in the quiet of your own studio where you're, you're making the decision about how many of those separate takes you're doing. And then there are other times when you're either connected to the client via, via uh, ISDN or you're yeah. just in studio with them. And always without any question when you're in studio with them, it will always take so much longer because every intonation, every, every, you know, it's Natalie. Can you can you read that again one more time and just slow it down a little bit? You, you sound a little bit too happy on that take. Could you just sound <laughs> a little more somber? You know, um, it's always you know fifty takes of things. Although I will say in my in that most recent example, um, I love working with that engineer in that recording studio. And there were I read five different modules with probably thirty pages total, and there were wonderfully whole segments where they all, they let me do just one take of five paragraphs in a row because I did it strongly enough in that one take that I didn't have to. And that saved my voice so much. So if you oh, do yeah, ever, definitely. yeah, if you do ever engineer for voiceovers, keep in mind, like this person sitting with you needs their voice for other things. <laughs> <laughs> and to every extent that you don't have to ask them to do a seventh or 12th or 25th take, um, you know, it's, it's so great. I, one of the other sessions that I did a year or so ago, I was in that session for six hours straight, nonstop talking. And by the time I came home, I just, I had to have tea and sit down and <laughs> maybe not, not say talk. anything. Not <laughs> yeah. And, you know, especially if it's right before you go out to socialize, you know, you go out and, you know, people are like, boy, Natalie was awfully quiet at that party. She hardly said a word for three hours. <laughs> you know? it's like, well, I just got paid a lot of money to say a whole lot of words back to back for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Excellent. it can be funny. Awesome. Well, what lies in store for, for the future for you now as well? Well, I certainly am uh, excited to keep working on those dance tunes with Michael Manchin. Uh, if you are curious about those, uh, I'm sure you'll, Sam will be sharing the links uh, to the SoundCloud and all of that. But I'm also oh, working different. on a project where I um, bring back some of the old projects that I had released previously uh, before the days of iTunes, some of them uh, on oh. like free. <laughs> yeah, I know. To some of our listeners, they'll be like, when was there no iTunes? Like, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're getting on Wikipedia right now. They're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, but, it, you know, back in the day, I used Create Space and, you know, all these various means that it's still available online or, you know, it was, I was able to launch it online at that time, but over time, especially early on in digital music sales, um, a lot of those sites either aren't there any longer or started asking for a monthly or annual fee to keep those CDs yeah. active. 
And over time, especially on a CD that doesn't have a lot of traffic anymore because it's a decade old, that keeps you in the red rather than letting you gain a real profit on anything. So I let a lot of those expire. And over time, even my own family came to me and said, oh, I would love to hear that song where you performed with one of your siblings or you did that Christmas song with your mom, but I can't find it online anymore. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's not there anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's dissolved. Um, Lost to the ether. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there are certainly tracks on those albums that, um, that I'm happy don't see the light of day now or that, you know, <laughs> or, or that I would rather, you know, have some 2016 remastering before I re-release them. And yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. And so I'm having that opportunity now um, because I found a great new distributor who only charges that fee one time up front, not monthly, not annually, just one time. And uh, they do take a back end portion of some of the royalties, but it's a very small percentage. And, right. you know, if I if that particular album only makes twenty dollars that year, then they are welcome to the two dollars of their percentage. <laughs> you know? um, so it's I've heard it, that two dollars. <laughs> yeah, I won't miss it. It's OK. I can still purchase my latte. Um, so so I'm really looking forward to um, polishing those tracks. Um, I have some people on board to help me with that, but I am also uh, still keeping my open for some other people that might be interested in helping me touch up some of those old tracks and uh, and even sort of produce it co-producing it with me to make decisions uh, AR decisions about does that track stay or does it go because ultimately I would like to take some of these albums that were released with 12 or 19 tracks and boil them down to just the six to eight strongest tracks yeah, when yeah. I release them so uh, but it's a very um good project I'm I'm really excited because as I've gone back and listened to this, some of that material you know, thinking it would be sort of like what we said at, at the beginning of our conversation where I'm like, oh, God, this sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've actually been really pleasantly surprised and gone, wow, like I it was a little rough. Like it's certainly, you know, there are things I've learned about engineering or songwriting since then that I might have fine tuned. But for what it is, you know, it's not bad. Some of it is actually quite good. And I'd be happy to re-record it now or even the recording state that it's in isn't bad. So it's been very good to revisit those and just sort of remember the roots that I've come from and also see what added information and what added skills I can bring to it now. Yeah, definitely. It would be nice to have that flexibility where you can re-record vocals or something if you wanted to. Absolutely. I ha and, you know, I have different equipment now than I had then and have access to to different resources and different uh, collaborators now than I had then. So you're absolutely right. You know, I can bring some completely different elements to it now than I would have had access to at the time. Awesome. Well, I have a nice, fun, off-topic question to finish off with now, just yep. to catch you completely off guard. <laughs> but it's uh, if you could hang out with anyone, alive or dead, who would it be? Oh, gosh. The first person that springs to mind, just completely off the cuff, and maybe this will be no surprise to you or a very big surprise to you, given that I don't think she has any ties to music or anything, um, is Anne Frank. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, uh, I, I grew up uh, reading The Diary of Anne Frank and um, reading Remembering Anne Frank by Meet the Guys, who was one of the people that helped to hide her and her family. Yeah. Um, and... I was so affected by the Holocaust as a youngster. Um, I saw a few decent movies uh, that kind of brought into my purview, um, brought into my world what happened and how it came to that place. And there were some wonderful films, even for kids, that just kind of looked at, you know, 
these friendships that were pulled apart or that faced things that, and, you know, it, we all think in our, when we grew up that we were the first to experience like, oh, I lost a friend at the age of 13 or, you know, yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, but you, it wasn't because one of you is a Catholic and one of you is a Jew and the other one was desperately trying to talk a priest into baptizing you so that you could escape the country. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, it's such a, a time period that just really had a profound effect on me just reading about it. And, um, I, I would love to be able to sit down really with anyone in her family, but, um, but with Anne, especially, I think would be really nice as that one person that I would sit down with, um, just to hear how she maintained such a positive attitude in the face of losing so much, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a strong choice to, to have someone like that to speak to can't imagine what meeting her would actually be like right yeah i i so wish obviously that that story had ended differently um and i mean i'm sure speaking to like a 13 year old Anne frank would be <laughs> i would probably see her in her giddiness and her her youth as well you know um yeah but i think there's there's just so much to be gleaned from the past and knowing how to how not to repeat some of those things to the best of our ability yeah, definitely. And it's a very strong message to end on as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's not too, too much of a downer. But I mean, but if anyone has, you know, those in your audience who may have read anything, uh, any of her writing, um, no, I mean, as as much as it's a very horrifying story that it ended the way that it did, um, her particular writing was actually um, quite upbeat. And she she did a very good job of covering the parts of living and hiding that were... Um, that really spoke to humanity that weren't just like we're sitting around the house all day, really knowing that we could die any day. She was talking about goofing off with her family and singing songs and spilling beans and, you know, just all the things that all of us do when we're 13 or when we get in arguments with our family. Um, and yeah. all of those things didn't stop happening just because they were in hiding. So um, I would, you know, say if you haven't read even a portion of uh, her diary to maybe pick it up. And I, I really enjoyed one year reading it during Thanksgiving. I thought it was a really good time of year to read that when you have that moment to sit for a few days and pause and think about who's in your life and, and how you want to live life to the fullest to read a story like that, where you just have a chance to say, you know, as much as I feel like I don't have some of the things I want, I'm in a pretty good position in life. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that puts it in perspective, isn't it? It really is. And it's good to have that perspective every now and then. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been amazing having you again, Natalie. Thanks for joining us and talking to us again. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure, pleasure, Sam. And I'm so <laughs> glad that um, that you continue to kind of help others tap into their strengths when it comes to sound. It's it's so important for those of us who are in our own little worlds with our own studios or even working as part of a larger corporation to have resources like yours to tap into to kind of keep ourselves abreast of what's going on and how we can improve our skills. So thank you so much for creating this show. Thank you so much for the kind words. And, uh, you know, it's a cheeky plug there. I'll have that. <laughs> <laughs> All yours. But, yeah, we look forward to your future releases and we'll, we'll keep an eye out for your future collaborations with Michael as well. Thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the Sound Architect podcast. We really appreciate that. And we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Dehumanizer 2 by the guys at Krotos. Fantastic piece of software. And we hope that you join us again soon.